0: Hey, .NET Rocks fans, Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Juval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April.
1: .NET Rocks episode 954 with guest David McCarter. Recorded live Friday, February 7th, 2014.
2: This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at Telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And now,
0: here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard, .NET guys here on the East Coast and the West
2: Coast of North America. What's up, my friend? Just plunking along, man. I got nothing to complain about. Nobody's listening anyway. <laughs> Bright and sunny and wicked cold. Wicked cold
0: here, too, man. Yeah. What is wicked cold in Vancouver exactly?
2: Negative um, well, 10 Celsius, so what's oh, that, about 5 Fahrenheit? Yeah, that's pretty cold yeah but yeah. it's it's bone dry here, lots of static. it's you know you guys call it a polar vortex. We just call it winter yeah uh, yeah <laughs> when the when the polar air comes down, it's very, very dry air. you're and not used a, to that, are you? you're used to sort of mild kind of well w- w- balmy. we either either it's raining and above freezing, yeah, or it is bright, sunny, very cold, very clear, very dry mm-hmm. and windy. so the topper is of course wind chill factors pushing us down to the negative 20s. All right, enough weather chit chat. Let's get right into it. Better know framework. Awesome. Everybody, right, what do you got? Well, you know,
0: we did this whole last tour on Eventbrite. Yep. Eventbrite has proven to be a reliable way to send out invitations. And, yes, uh,
2: and and updates too. Is the trick is people got to make sure they read the emails when you send out the updates.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why people aren't reading them. Maybe because they're I don't know. Who knows why? I think but they're anyway. cluttered.
2: You know, writing good
0: emails is hard. Yeah. Well, anyway, did you know they have an API? No, I did
2: not know that.
0: Not only did they have an API, but somebody has developed a .NET wrapper for it. Oh, nice. It's called Eventbrite.net. So go to tinyurl.com slash Eventbrite-net, because they don't allow dots. Eventbrite.net is an API wrapper written in C Sharp that provides a statically typed interface for the publicly available Eventbrite API. It does everything that you can do yourself with... HTTP fetching, and some XML parsing, but it'll be a truckload quicker and easier to use than writing your own code. Yeah. So there you go. That's goody. goodie. Isn't that cool? I love it. What a great idea. We're having a party here. I, I ju- We just started using it for personal stuff. Um, we're having a party at the house and decided to use Ventbrite for our Beat the Winter Blues party, and it's working great. Yeah. You can send out reminders, and you can say, you know, uh, a week before, send out this reminder. You know, uh, thirty hours or twenty-four hours before, send out another one. Whatever. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. It's a lot of fun. There you go. I'm I'm uh interested in this myself. I'm gonna check it out. So yeah, for who's sure. talking
2: to us, Richard? So I grabbed a comment off of show nine twenty-eight, and that's the one we did with Fred George, where we talked about programmer anarchy. Yeah. This comment comes from Tony Virgaldi out of Philly. You know we. Takes us out for hoagies. I think he has a full set of mugs and a hoodie. Uh, so I don't know that I have to give him any more swag. But his comment's so excellent, I thought we have to read it. Yes. Uh, Tony says, I originally listened to this episode on the way home from Thanksgiving at the in-laws. I needed to go back and listen to it again as there's a few things I wanted to hear again. Uh the concept of team organization coming from within is a great idea, and one I have seen on occasion. However, most companies and people do not allow this self organization I believe this is because managers like vice presidents, director level, that sort of thing. And some team leaders are scared of it as they may believe they lost control and or developers will not produce. In my opinion, if a developer is not producing, the team will help the developer to contribute either via training or mentoring, or the developer will be pushed out, which I totally agree with. You can, if you've enforced structure from above, somebody can hide in that structure. A self-organized group tends to reveal weaknesses rather than hide them. Good point. The way the project manager role is defined today has confused me. Over the last 17 years as a developer, I have worn the hat of project manager to make sure projects were delivered to the client. Having had the project manager role external creates silos between departments, namely, you know, business development, QA, other management levels, and the PM may be more concerned about how they look on the project as opposed to the overall success. I liked how Fred divided up the role into various parts with the ambassador being representing, but not actually making commitments. The concierge getting the needed gear and software and libraries and so forth being the two key roles in my opinion. And I would also agree totally different roles that may or may not be on the same person. Fred and Richard talk about working with passionate people who can interact and learn. This seems to be the biggest struggle for companies as they make hiring decisions. Currently, companies put together a list of skills and then look for the perfect person to match those skills. What they miss is that there may not be the perfect person, thus missing out on good candidates, and the team does not work well together. I'm a strong believer in the idea that hiring should be done based on personality and not a list of skills. Skills can be taught quickly, but personalities take a very long time to change. Mm So, Tony and I are totally on the same page. Clearly, I need to buy him a hoagie.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony, you know, spoken like a guy who has some scars. Uh, yeah. Folks that fit the skills bill, but didn't fit the team bill. I, I had a little Twitter conversation with someone else today who was talking about this problem. I said, one of the ways I described it was, this is a guy who's like a cow who gives twice as much milk, but always kicks over one of the cans. Yep. So in the end, I get the same amount of milk as any other cow, but I also have a mess on the floor. Uh, yeah, it's hard and uh, certainly relevant to what we're going to talk to today as well. In as much as getting a good interview is important, asking for the right things, actually finding the people that matter is important too. And having management that accepts the fact that for folks to buy into a team, they have to be part of building the team. Uh, always a battle. Uh, Tony, I'm not sending you another mug, man. You, you're, you're up to a whole tea set at this point, but I'll be in contact and let's figure out how we can do something nice for you, because this was a great comment and I really appreciate it. But you, dear listener, if you'd like a mug, you can be just like Tony. Write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. Right. And with that, let me introduce
0: our guest, good old friend of mine, David McCarter. He is a C-Sharp Microsoft MVP, developer, architect, consultant in San Diego. David is the creator of dot tips.com that has been helping programmers since 1994. There's a story there, and you're going to hear it very soon. David has written for programming magazines and has published many books, and his latest self-published book is David McCarter's .net Coding Standards. He is one of the founders and the president of the almost 20-year-old San Diego .NET Developers Group. In 2008, David won the iNetta Community Excellence Award for his involvement in the .NET community. David is also an inventor of a software printing system that was improved by the U.S. Patent Office in May 2008. He lectures on software engineering at colleges, high schools, user groups, and conferences like Code Camps, VS Live, Microsoft Dev Days, etc. This year is his 17th year teaching at the University of California, San Diego. If that's not enough, David's also an award winning photographer and does work for bands such as Queensryche, Buck Cherry, Jeff Tate, Gary Hoey, and too many other bands in the U.S. to list. He's also working on his first non-geek book about tribute bands. David's also a guitarist and has had the honor to play with, oh, Carl Franklin. That's right, he has. <laughs>
2: I heard of that guy.
0: And the lead guitarist from Leonard Skinnerd. Welcome, David McCarter. Hey guys, how's it going? Now, which lead guitarist? Because they're all lead guitarists. Are you talking about Rosington?
1: No, it's uh, one of the guys who's playing with the band now. Um, used to be in Blackfoot.
0: Okay. All right, I don't know his name then can't come up with his name off top my head. No problem, hey, so David, I gotta tell the story now, obviously, you've been in the business as long as I have. I met you in nineteen ninety three at a v bits, I believe probably the first v bits ninety three or ninety four yes I think it was ninety yeah. three I think it was before I think it was the first v bits, and uh that's where I met you and uh, it it was shortly after that that um, maybe the next year or so, yeah, it was 1994 that Gary Wisniewski and I put together Carl and Gary's VB homepage. And shortly after that um, started, you put up .net tips and tricks, and it was running on the same server, so we were sort of co-running that there. So we've been in this in this community probably longer than, geez, just about anybody. You know, they, and, and you've been running this user group for 20 years. That's just amazing. So kudos to you, my friend. Thank you. Round of applause for Dave McCarter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, my God. It Visual was called, Basic
0: is so old. It was called VB Tips and Tricks back then now, right? It's called .NET Tips, but... Um, and you—that's what you did every every week or so, right? You would put out some new tricks and tips and things, and you just you just have this huge, huge
1: list. Right. I still have hundreds of VP tips I've never put back up onto tips.com. But yeah. Yeah. I, I I was programming, you know, back when I was working with you guys. I was programming, well, not programming, but I was designing, you know, uh, web pages with Notepad. Because mm. there was there wasn't any programs back then, really. Right. So I was doing it via Notepad, I, everything by hand. Yeah. I think
0: I did all of Carl and Gary's in Notepad, and I <laughs> uploaded it via FTP command line.
1: Right,
2: yeah, right. that's what we
0: had.
1: Old days,
2: old days. I see. Yeah, when you even predate Front Page, you're talking old days. I, I was scared <laughs> of
0: Front Page then, and I'm scared of Front Page now. Whatever they call it, <laughs> it's
2: come and gone, man. It's gone, 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 and dead and gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Front page.
1: Back then, I got hooked up with uh, Robert Scoble um, via CompuServe. You know, yeah, because I was a they. They made me a CompuServe uh, moderator back when CompuServe was actually around.
0: And for those who don't remember those days, um, Robert Scoble now is a sort of an international blogger and celebrity in that space. But he was working for the VBITS guys, and that VBITS was the first conference that later became VS Live,
2: right? Yeah, way back when. Yeah, I was in the database space heavily then, right? DBASE and uh, and even the early you know by by VB two, I was using Sybase with SQL sombrero. Woohoo! Yeah, so different out. set of conferences, but we're all doing the same thing.
0: All right, so now that we establish how old and antiquated we are, <laughs> that's right. Let's jump twenty years into the future to the present, and uh, let's let's find out what you're talking about now.
1: Well, I talk about a lot of subjects, but you know, I'm I'm focusing now on uh, that. Now that I'm getting older and I have a lot of experience, I guess I'm focusing on just helping programmers be better programmers. So uh, that's what all my talks are for 2014 are all wrapped around that specifically. And
0: uh, I suppose you're in a really good position to do that just because you've got this breadth of experience.
1: I think so. That's what I want to, you know, give out to the world. You know, I, I feel that, you know, it doesn't take much to learn the new you know, any framework, and you know, show it in front of people. But you know, taking your 20 plus years of experience and getting that out to people to help them be better programmers takes a you know is a is a lot of work, and it's right. uh, It's really fulfilling if uh, you hear something good back. Of course, mm-hmm. sure.
2: How many jobs do you think you've had in software development now, David?
1: How many jobs? Yeah. Oh, uh, I would say about if you're not including like side contracting jobs, I would say at least 10 or 15. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I normally change jobs if I'm working, you know, a normal full-time job uh, every like two years or two and a half years.
2: So and basically get a product release out and move on.
1: Yeah. Cause then you are stuck in maintenance mode. If they're, if that's all they're doing. And, and I've always wanted and do live on the bleeding edge of, you know, technology, what dot net's doing. So, Usually, you know, as soon as a program, you know, a programs are released, you have to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Plus, and plus the other thing is, uh, and it, I, I talk about it in my, uh, you know, interview session at, uh, conferences is that's the best way to get a raise.
2: Yeah. For better or worse.
1: Right. It's, you know, if, if you want to raise, you have to quit your job and go to another company because, you know, my last full time job, I, I got a raise of 1.2%. Mm. Yeah. Which is, is laughable. And, you know, if I back in, you know, probably the, the early 2000s before the internet bubble burst, every time I changed a job, I was upping my salary at least 10 grand. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, that, th- that reminds me of a story that I tell during my conference session is that, you know, we were hiring beginners and, and we found this guy who actually turned out to be a pretty much a genius. And the story I tell in my, in my session is that once he discovered this, he left. That he was a genius. Yeah, he, he left and went to some, some other company
0: once he discovered he was a genius, and that you thought that you
1: knew you knew he was a genius. Yes. So as soon as he figured that out, he went somewhere else because he felt that he wasn't going to get the training and the you know the handholding he was you know at the company we were working at. He didn't know how valuable he was. Maybe that and you know, our company wouldn't have you know given them anything to stay anyway at that point. Yeah. You know, because they were, you know, they were in the saving money mode, and and so that wasn't going to happen.
0: So you you talk about interviewing uh, a lot. What what is this? Uh, what what are some of the things that you you tell people about job interviewing?
1: Well, I came up with this talk actually around the time I was interviewing that beginner because I was frustrated because our company forced us to only hire beginners after the first release of our product. Huh. And, uh, you know, I pleaded with them and I said, please, can we have like one intermediate for two beginners? And they refused. So it was just interview after interview of beginners. And they, it, they were just terrible. You know, we didn't hire anybody and they were terrible at interviewing. So this talk actually came from that frustration is, uh, you know, I need to teach people how to do this so they can get the job that they want. And when I first did it, you know, four years ago, I didn't think anybody would come. But it's actually the biggest talk I've ever done outside of like speaking for Microsoft. Wow. It's been it, I have more people attending than any code talk I've ever done. In Silicon Valley, they have to put me in this big theater uh, where they hold plays because, you know, three or four hundred people come. Jeez. It's it's crazy popular. And, uh, and so it's, I'm going to keep doing it as long as people come.
0: Right. And uh, give me some examples of
1: the wisdom you impart in this talk. Well, there's a lot, and I've added a lot to this year. And uh, we go over a lot of things. So and, but the number one thing, I was interviewed a couple of years ago in Silicon Valley by Dice TV. And, and the number one thing is they don't come prepared. You know, they don't research the company. They don't research the job. They don't, you know, research the products. You know that they want to work on. They just walk in and think they can ace ace the interview, and it doesn't happen that way ever. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, being prepared is the number one. I have lots of sections to my talk, but that's the biggest one. I, I talk a lot about is being prepared and how to get prepared and. And not only by researching the company, but coming up with questions you need to ask, you know, researching the, uh, you know, the team or the hiring manager if you can do that, and uh, all those kind of things that you need to do before you even walk in the door.
2: So, is this just hang out on the company website?
1: Well, there is more to it than just hanging on a company website, and it really depends if you are going through a recruiter. So, if you are going through a recruiter, the recruiter should give you this knowledge. And if they don't, find a new one is what right. I always say.
2: Sort of a sign of a good recruiter is somebody who's helping his, you know, the recruiter only gets paid if this guy gets this job. you think he'd be highly motivated to give him everything he knows about the company so he can get the job.
1: You would think that, but it doesn't happen that way with a lot of recruiters. And I've been, I've been saying every year I've been doing this talk is recruiters are like car salespeople, you know? they they just they just want to get you in a car and drive you off the lot so they can get their commission and it, it, you can't work that way and right. it's and uh so what i usually tell people is don't worry there's one right down the block and go try them until you find one that fits you and does what you want to do and wants to know you so people have been asking me for years on you know what qualities do i look for for a recruiter and uh, what i say is they have to meet you before placing you. That's my number one tip. Right. Cause I don't believe that they can properly understand what you are looking for and what you're all about and uh, your goals in your life. If they don't meet you and the, and the joke that I tell is I make them t- take me to PF Chang's. <laughs> and, uh, I do. I, I make them take me to PF Chang's. Last week, a recruiter took me to breakfast. And, and that's the setting you need to go to and talk to your recruiter. And I like it because not only do I get a free meal, but you know, I'm not in the office and we can talk, you know, more casually and things like that. But that's the number, that's the number one thing. And I've had recruiters, they wouldn't meet me. And I said, see you later. I'm not working with you. Right. Yeah. And, and I've been, I've been lucky to be, to been on both sides of this. So not only have I been, you know, interviewing at companies for, you know, 20 years, but I've hired people. And so I've used recruiters the other way, you know, as finding people for for my team. And that was <laughs> a really big struggle in and of itself. Don't you get the sense
0: that recruiters just don't have any real sense of who they're actually dealing with? I mean, I find it very hard to believe that a recruiter actually knows that, oh, this person is actually, you know, how they in other words that they can actually vet people effectively
1: they can't most of them can't do that and some recruiting companies you know give them tests and thing like and things like that but most yeah most of the recruiters don't know what we're talking about and and that's actually one of the other signs that I tell in my in my session about the sign of a good recruiter if they come to your user group so i have you know a number of uh, recruiters they come to my user group every month, hmm. and and not and the other sign is they don't take off after an hour, right? They sit through the whole three hours, mm. and and I have a number of recruiters that sit through the whole three hours, and you know they're they don't they're not there to learn .net, but they are there to learn what we're talking about, so they right. can have a halfway idea what we're 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 all about and what we talk about. Hmm. So that's and, – and those are usually the, you know, the only recruiters I'll use. Is, have you ever is,
0: thought about working for recruiters to actually help them vet people? Because it uh, seems to me that we have those skills and, uh, you know, recruiters don't make bad money.
1: Right. They You know, they make anywhere from 20 to
0: 40% right, of, of the, first the annual year, yeah. salary, of the right. first-year
1: salary. Yeah. And it's even higher for uh, consulting. You know, it's up to 50% for consulting. And, um, yes, it's, I would love to do that. And I've actually been talking to some recruiters about that. And it actually, that idea actually came from a recruiter when I did this talk last year in Phoenix. You know, she, she came up to me and she said, you know, I want you to vet candidates. Right. And I said, I'd be perfect for that. Sure. And, uh, and, you know, and charge them to do that. And I've been trying to get recruiting companies to do that. And I can't.
0: Because they because they can get by with their limited knowledge and they make their money and it doesn't matter to them, right?
1: Right. And I've also, for at least two years now, I've been trying to get recruiters to basically hold a meeting at their location for me to come in and actually do this talk for their candidates. And uh, to get all the candidates to come in, do the talk. And that hasn't happened either. And it's, it's, it's interesting because about a year and a half ago, I was doing this talk up in Orange County. And the group actually met at a recruiting company. Wow. So, yeah. And, and so the cool thing was uh, about half the recruiters hung out and watched my talk. And some I I got so many great comments from them. One of them said, I now understand what you guys think about, you know, when you're when you're doing an interview. Mm. And one and one of the recruiters bought nine of my DVDs. (laughs) So, you know, she bought the basically, you know, that talk for everyone, every recruiter in the company to watch. So they can see what we're all about, which they don't get. They don't get to sit in the interviews. You know, they're they're they never see an interview. Right, but they can get a really good idea from watching my talk because I go through all this. So has that worked out
0: well for you? Have you actually been able to to get any? Uh, you said that there they've been, you know, these recruiters have not been able to do it. Or but have you done it at all? Have you been able to d- do any vetting? Well,
1: the, the last vetting I did. It, Kind of that, all on a full time basis was actually at my last company, my last full time job, and uh, you know we had about I don't know three or four hundred developers. I don't know how many were .NET developers, but in my team alone, I was the first person you would see, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what our VP said: if they don't make it through Dave, the interview's over. Wow! And so I vetted just about every single .NET programmer that came into the company during that time, and and not only did I do that for our department, but my boss let me out to other departments and I did it for them too. Hmm. So that worked really well because I was able to, you know, do what they needed to, you know, vet the people uh, the way, and especially since I've known .NET for so long, you know, they, they use that and it worked out great. Wow.
0: That's good. Well, Richard, you know what time it is now? Uh, must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to hire a comedy consultant to vet my stupid giveaway jokes.
2: <laughs> Ask me later. I'll tell you how to make that fun. I got
0: a feeling that one wouldn't have made it.
2: Nope. <laughs> going to make it.
0: No, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who the winner is today, Telerik wants to tell you that mobile apps are dead. What? Watch as Telerik unveils what comes next. Are you stuck with tools and vendors that make you choose between native, hybrid, or a web-based approach? You no longer have to choose. Mobile apps are dead, and there's a new way forward. The new wave is all about building long-lasting and compelling cross-platform and multi-device apps that will forever transform mobile development for the better. Are you ready? Go to mobileappsaredead.com where you'll learn how to pick the right approach for each project and Tackle the fragmented and dynamic mobile ecosystem, elevate your productivity and shorten time to market, and create compelling experiences across platforms and devices. Go to mobileappsaredead.com to watch the free online keynote from Telerik, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So, buddy, who's our winner? Winner today is Jim Schmail. Congratulations, Jim. Michigan. Jim just won a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, and it's about everything Telerik does in one box. $2,000 value. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away a DevCraft Complete, and every December we give away $5,000 worth of stuff, technology, to one lucky member of the fan club. We like to ask our guests what they would buy with $5000 david what would you do with 5 grand right now technology
1: that's easy i would buy the best digital camera i could really Yeah, to do my photography for bands yeah what would it be well i'm an icon guy so it would be whatever i could get for 5 grand for an icon because you know the 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 hardest photography to do basically is low light right and uh, even though I'm, the camera i have now is uh, pretty good uh, there's still something better that would make my job a lot easier.
2: Yeah. yeah I wouldn't have so
1: many throwaways.
2: Sure. You know, you're you probably talking like a D4, although I think they're even more than five grand. Well, it's the lens really that matters. You know, a lens with
0: a
1: very low f-stop. And uh, yeah. Oh, that's true. I have one. It's, you know, my, my lens I use usually when I'm, you know, doing photography for bands, uh costs more than my camera did.
2: Yeah, I bet. Everybody I talk to who really knows their way around cameras. So they're spending more on their lens than their body.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah. If you got a $5,000 body, what kind of lens are we talking? Right. <laughs> All right. I want to jump back into this because one of the experiences I've had is that salespeople, especially good salespeople are always interviewing. And I've never seen tech people do that. Sales guys get really good at interviews. I think one of the reasons is they do a lot of them where most tech people just dread the interview.
1: Oh, they do because, you know, they're geeks or nerds and they right. don't, you know, they don't have, they're not like salespeople. They don't do it very much, hopefully. And, you know, they're introverted. They don't like to talk. You know, there's all kinds of things that uh, makes it tough on, you know, uh, geeks doing it. And uh, and that's what this talk, you know, is all about, is helping them overcome that. And in one point I tell them, just fake it. <laughs> you know, if you need to bring your A game and whatever that is, you need to, you know, be on top of your game. You need to act excited. You need to act, you need to have enthusiasm and fake it if you need to, because that's going to get you the job.
2: So what is it that these uh, beginners, especially novice developers are doing wrong? How do they mess up an interview?
1: I think they mess it up mostly. Well, like I said, being prepared is one thing they don't, you know, they, they don't, I, I had this one beginner come in and I got the Sense that he just felt entitled to a high paying software job. Right. And, and he was a beginner. I think he just heard somewhere that you can make a lot of money being a software engineer. So he took the classes at whatever, you know, probably not one of those real colleges, you know, the, the, the fast ones. And he got out of that and uh, he just expects, you know, eighty, ninety thousand $90,000 or something. Certainly like didn't take your class. No, he certainly didn't. And, uh, so, some people feel entitled like that. So um, there's a there's a weird thing that I talk about at not only at the well everywhere where I'm talking to people who are looking for a job, is um, you know, how do you get a you know, how do you get a job in software engineering? Well, you need experience. Well, how do you get experience? Well, you need to have a job. Right. You know, it's it's this game that uh is hard to do. And so when I hear that or when I talk to beginners about this. I always go back to when I was a beginner and what I did when I was a beginner was, you know, this is going to date me. Uh, I, I went into every job interview with a little plastic box of my floppy discs, right? Nice. In the box was programs I've written and I wrote them at home. You know, they weren't business app, you know, they weren't from, you know, my job or anything. They were programs I wrote at home and, they said, well, you know, we kind of want you to do this kind of application. I go, hey, I kind of did something like that. You know, I, I plop it in, you know, install the program. It works. I got the job. Nice. Every single time. Every right. single time it worked.
0: What have you done? Not, you know, what it's your. Yeah. Can you do that? Yes. Here's the proof.
2: Yeah, Here's an example.
1: Right. And that's and that's actually how. I turned around the frustration of hiring beginners because we were frustrated. Me and the other manager just were banging our heads against the wall, going, We can't hire anybody, they're awful. And so what I I went actually back to my beginner days and I said, Okay, let's make them bring in code that they wrote and have them explain it to us. Yeah. And if it can run, that's even better. So the first guy who came in was this guy who, you know, later was a genius. He came in, he wrote, he brought in his program. It's a little, you know, um, you know, C sharp windows form program that he wrote for his dad for his, there's, you know, his dad was sick and went to the VA all the time and he had to keep track of miles. So he wrote this little application for his dad to do that. And he went over it. I'm looking at the code going, yeah, I would never write code like that, but he's a beginner. And the, and the thing was he could not only explain. What he wrote, but why he did it. Right. And, and that was the sign of a good developer. And that turned around our hiring. Cause as soon as we started doing that, we started hiring more people. And it, so it always went back to my beginner days. And, and I was really lucky back in those days because you know, I think the second program I ever wrote was picked up by PC magazine and they interviewed it in, uh, <laughs> I think it was 95. And uh, that brought a lot of credibility to me, and because I could whip out an article and say, "Hey, look, I was in PC Magazine."
0: Right. Sure.
1: And and back and back in those times too, if I was doing uh, if I was going in for a web development uh, job, I would bring a little portfolio, and I printed out the web pages, you know, in, in really high glossy paper to make look good, and I would bring those in. You have to bring things in. And that's one thing I'm injecting. I'm going to make sure I inject in my talk this year is oh, I actually have a slide that says don't come empty handed. Right. Not only do you need to bring projects and things like that, but you need to bring copies of your resume, too. And and the thing I stress is I usually don't want them to bring in work projects because I don't know what they wrote, you know, I, and as opposed to somebody else wrote.
2: Yeah, and I don't want the liability either. You know, don't bring code from work you don't own. Right, sure. Sure. Well, the
1: you know, the second person who who came in and we hired her too, was going over the code and the code was from work. And she was explaining it. She was having a hard time because I don't think she wrote all of it. But, you know, I looked at the code and I asked her, I go, Is this code in in production? And she goes, Yes, and I go, "Uh Uh-oh. And The other manager hit me, goes, shut up, Dave. You know, you're not here to critique our code. (laughs) So it's, it, but that's, you know, you have to bring in things. And that's one thing that that people don't do. Or at least have a USB key available or at least be able to point them somewhere.
2: Well, I think the modern way now, you know, you see not coming empty handed, but it's like, I think the modern resume is LinkedIn. And the modern way to bring your app is your GitHub repository.
1: Right, people do that, and I I interviewed somebody for this year's talk that that exactly what happened, and the guy who interviewed him uh, went and found all that, and uh, there's a bunch of JavaScript. The guy's a beginner, and during the interview, the the interviewer said to him, "You know this JavaScript is crap," and the the guy goes, "Yeah, I know it is. I'm a beginner." And uh, he said, "Can you help me fix it?" And they sat around for like an hour and a half fixing its JavaScript during the interview. Wow! Wow!
2: Well, and it, it, doesn't that speak volumes to this idea of that? I mean, that's a good thing, right? Like that he was willing to learn.
1: Right, and that's and that's actually something I stress a lot it, during my whole session. Is you know the entire time that I'm interviewing you, I'm trying, well, there's a lot of things I'm trying to understand from you, but one is your willingness to learn. And, and because I've hired people who thought they knew everything and they turn out to be the worst programmers. Right. And I always want to hire somebody that wants to learn. I will always hire somebody with less experience that wants to learn over the opposite because I, well, I'm a teacher. I can teach anybody anything, but they have to be willing to learn. And you run across programmers that just won't do that. And uh, as soon as I can sense that, uh, you know, the interview is pretty much over.
2: Right. So stop asking for ninjas, rock stars and, uh, and uh, you know, high experts everywhere.
1: No, I'm always looking for ninjas and rock stars. And, and it really depends on the team and what we're doing. Like one time we, we hired somebody who came in and, and actually wrote something that Apple couldn't even do on the iPhone. And I said, we can't hire him. And they said, why? And I go, because, well, he's really smart and he's going to come in here and be totally bored out of his mind and leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, so you, you have to hire the right people for the team, you know, whether they're beginners or ninja rock stars. And, and what I've seen, at least on this side of the coast uh, lately, is that companies aren't willing to pay for ninja rock stars right they they want to hire beginners and intermediates which is unfortunate because you know there's not enough of the good programmers mentoring them and uh, which spits out really crappy code which i'm seeing constantly now well
2: it's all well and fine to a- hire intermediates and novices as long as there's a facility to help them get better
1: exactly and that's what i stressed out my last company we we were hiring beginners and I told them over and over again, I go, I, I, I'm okay if you want to hire beginners, but we have to have a plan in place to train them. And we need to make sure it happens. And, uh, it never happened. No. And maybe that's why they left after a while because they felt they weren't going to get the training and the mentoring that they needed at that company. You know, I was a principal soft, you know, my title there was a principal software engineer, which was the highest level. You could have at the company, and, and part of our job was mentoring people. But, you know, with the, the load of uh, work they gave us, we had very, very little time to do that, which is unfortunate.
0: Are you doing any one-on-one mentoring these days, David?
1: Um, besides the user group uh, or teaching, you know, sometimes on, on the side, I'm not. I, I wish I was doing more, but no, not at, not at this time.
2: David, it sounds to me like it's as much about how an employer writes the job description as it is about what an employee puts on the resume.
1: Oh, true. And 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 both are embellished. And I was talking about this recently that they, you know, employers, when you look at the, the 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 job description, it looks like they want the, you know, Jesus Christ rock star, you know, that doesn't exist. Right. And and they have so many, and especially now with so many. different technologies out there
2: i'd look for someone with 10 years of html5 experience (laughs) right
1: right but they want so much different experience and want you to be an expert you know that doesn't exist so what i usually tell people is you know you have to take that with a grain of salt because they're they're really not looking for that in the end i don't know who writes these things probably hr if they're written that bad (laughs) but um yeah, you, you have to take it with a grain of salt and just go for it. You know, submit your resume and see what happens. And, uh, you know, I, people probably embellish on their oh, resumes too, but I tell them not to do that. Right. Because, because you're going to get caught. And, and anything, you know, anything you put on your resume is fair game. And yep. if it's there, if it's there, then I might ask you about it and you better have an answer for it. I've, I've done
2: the bring your favorite piece of code in. And then looking at the codes, asked them a question about it and they can't answer fundamentals. But I it. was like, you didn't write this. Yep. And then the interview's over. It's like, I don't really care how talented you are. You're
1: trying to bullshit you, you,
2: me. You can't lie in an interview.
1: <laughs> it's, it's totally true. That's uh that happens all the time. And that's why I really like them bringing code and making you do, making you explain it. You know, other companies will have you do pair programming and, and uh, there's this new website a lot of companies use online to do online testing, but um, and I don't know how I've never used those two methods. I want to see what they've done, and you not just so- want to
2: be sure they really did it
1: exactly. And it's easy to tell if they did it or not. Very very easy because they can explain it instantly.
2: And I've also found the geekiest guys that are super uncomfortable in an interview. Once they're talking about their code, they can actually talk.
1: Oh sure, yeah. Yeah. Once you get them going. Uh, it's probably no stopping.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know if you do this. I've certainly done this, is deliberately asking questions that there's no way they could possibly know the answer to, just to see if they'll actually say, I don't know. Right.
1: Exactly. And that's what I do. You know, I have a list of questions I ask people. And in California, uh, by law, you have to ask the same questions to every candidate, you know, otherwise you can get in trouble. So I do that and, uh, you know, no one has ever gotten 100%. And it's not geared for that because exactly what you said, I, I want to hear them say they don't know. And, um, and because that's a sign of not only, you know, admitting it, but they probably want to learn about it too. So uh, yes, a lot of every time I want them to say that. And I've had people, <laughs> this is, I think this is the funniest story. I had this guy once, uh, a while ago, fly himself all the way down from Washington State down to San Diego to be interviewed at the company I was working for. So I was doing the tech interview and uh, one of my favorite questions to ask is, uh, you know, can you explain how the garbage collector works? And, uh, you know, he proceeded to spend at least 10 minutes on the whiteboard trying to draw it out, hmm. how it works. And he was completely wrong. And I'm sitting there going, looking at, well, I know the answer anyway, but I'm going, you know, I'm Donnet Dave. I know this and you're trying to BS me. Right. You know, the interview was over. That was it. Yeah. Because he he just wouldn't say he didn't know. And and so that was, it was terrible. And I felt really bad for him because he spent all that money to come to San Diego. Uh, But yeah. So exactly. If you're giving advice to
0: somebody who wants to, uh, to get to, to do an interview. Uh, obviously we've heard about do's and don'ts here, but what is the, the biggest ace in the hole? I mean, besides bringing your own code, that's, that's obviously a good one. The, the absolute, you know, the thing that will seal the deal for you getting hired. Yeah. If, if all else is going really well, you want to put a final seal on it. The, the can never fail tip. The never
1: fail tip. Well, yeah. I've, I probably have about two. All right, you know the last question I'll I'll ask at an interview, and I do this every single interview, is: Do you have any questions? And sometimes they don't have any questions. The interview, that's it. It's over. I won't hire them.
0: Yeah,
1: because that that just tells me that they, you know, they're there for a paycheck, and I never want to hire somebody for a paycheck. Yep. You know, I want to hire somebody who wants to learn and work and and do a great job. So I always ask them that. And so one of the things I harp on a lot in my session is that you need to come prepared with a list of questions to ask them, right? And and they can be anything from you know you know what's the how does the the makeup of the team you know what's my manager's right. uh, uh, style, um all those kind of things. I even ask, and I put this on my website. I even ask technical questions. Right, because you know I don't want to go in there and have a five-year-old computer and no, you know sure. Visual, Visual Studio 2005 and and, and because that happens. I, I was interviewing a year and a half ago for uh, a company that you know holds ninety percent share of the scanning of uh, checks on your cell phone, and I asked the CTO and I said, "So what do you use for source control?" And he said, uh, "We don't have any source control." I I there was blown go. away. Yeah. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Exactly. So it's it's and it, it depends how long you know there is at the end for you to ask questions. I always try to make sure there's some time, but you need to ask questions um, anything but HR and pay, because right. we don't know any, we Those don't know I anything. Can. Yeah, we don't know anything about that.
2: But yeah, I was just going to ask that. What is the wrong question to ask? Good at one, that, Richard.
1: Point? No, the wrong one is you know you know how much am I going to get paid or any HR questions or. How many paid vacation days do I get? Exactly, you know. Can I can I, <laughs> can I can I start in a month because I need to go on vacation? Yeah. You know, and and <laughs> yeah, things like that. And when you have a recruiter, you know, uh, you can let the recruiter do that because, you know, I have demands that I want, but I let them do it. You know, like you know every company starts off at 2 weeks. I won't start at a company with 2 weeks vacation. I make the recruiter go back in and say, "No, Dave wants 3 weeks to start off with." And they say, okay, but I let the recruiter do that. And then it's not part of the interview. So, you know, as far as the technical interview goes, yeah, don't a- ever ask those kind of questions. You shouldn't ask any of those questions until you get to HR. And that'll probably be the very end of the, the process, depending how long that process takes.
2: Really, when, when once so you can't do any of that till there's an offer on the table.
1: Right. Right. You shouldn't even talk about that until then. Yeah. Right.
2: But uh, I appreciate your point on the recruiter side because I think most tech people just think of recruiters like you say, car salesmen, as just scum of the earth. It's that they actually have very specific services for you, and one of them is negotiating your employment contract.
1: Well, they you know if you find a good one, there's a lot of great services they do that I talk about. You know, one is making your resume look good, right? Because we can't write resumes that look good. Yeah, right. Well, you won't believe some of the resumes I see. They're they're awful. But, you know, what I do is I have the recruiter, I, you know, the recruiters always want a a word doc of the resume so they can stick their logo on it. But the the other part of their job is to make you look good on that resume, right? And then I ask them for it back. And I just keep doing that until I have a good looking resume. But not only should they do that, you know, they prepare you for the interview, you know, they do the negotiation, you know, they follow up. There's lots of, if you find a good recruiter, they're going to do all those things and it's totally out of your, ha- not out of your hands, but you you don't, you don't have to do that. That's their job. And, and that's uh, doing those things as a uh, sign up a good recruiter. And I had lunch with some recruiters about a month ago and they kind of, they kind of ding me going "Well, Dave, you know, you, you're getting a reputation around the recruiters that you're bashing them. And I go, yes, I am. Only the bad ones, right? Uh, the bad ones. Exactly. I'm I'm bringing up the bad qualities and and the good qualities that people need to look for so they don't waste their time. Right. Well,
2: the way to make recruiting a more respectful industry is to get rid of the bad ones and get more good ones. And that starts with the customer being us demanding it.
1: Right. And that's exactly what I did when I was on the other end of the stick and hiring people. I was... at first, the company we were bought out by this big company, and and they had in-house recruiting, and they made me use theirs, and I used them for for a couple candidates, and I basically, you know, strong armed them and said I'm not going to use them anymore, and then I started using the good recruiters here in San Diego, and and that worked out. But yeah, it's it's really hard to find a good recruiter. It takes time, and 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 probably the best way to find one is definitely not going through the. You know, yellow pages or the internet is go to a user group and ask around because if you go to a user group you will find out who are the good ones and who are the bad ones it could people will tell you it's it's they know
0: right absolutely well david i, th- I think that's a show thanks for uh thanks for finally making it
1: thanks i'm i'm glad and uh hopefully i can come back uh, sooner than however long you've been doing this absolutely and congratulations (laughs) on
0: a on a fantastic 20 years
1: oh thank you i'm really looking forward to it it's gonna it's gonna be a great blowout all right and we'll see you next time on net rocks